0: And yesterday was about fixing our marriage and about the wounds that we cause Christ in our marriage to him. And today, all of the readings have a common theme, forgive my disorganization. From the morning until the evening, we'll go through each of the hours just to get a sense of what we're being told. But the theme is, it's almost like a lover's quarrel with a spouse who feels entitled. And so we'll zoom out and we'll zoom in. Zooming out, we read this morning about creation, that God created, he didn't need to create, but he created and everything was good. Nothing made itself. And this is going to matter a lot in our relationship to him. And so in the first hour, we read about the creation and then we read about his vineyard in the book of Isaiah, where it says, my beloved has planted a vineyard and I wanted it to bring forth fruit, grapes, specifically. I made it, I designed it, but it put out thorns. And so he's expressing his his anger, and we're going to go back and forth with these things. And he asks the question in the reading saying, shouldn't I destroy it? Wouldn't you, if you had done this, if you had planted this and it brought, I put all of this, he says, what more he asked, what, what is there that I didn't do for it? Okay. So I, 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 watered it. I planted it. I hedged it. I protected it from the environment. I gave it the soil. I gave everything. I planted it. I watered it. And it refused to do what it was, what it was. It wasn't being itself as the Buna Joseph talked about this morning. And so he asks rhetorically, Wouldn't you destroy it? And yet, in spite of his anger, we see again in the first morning prophecies that that's not what he wants to do. He's upset. And he's asking us these questions to say, hey guys, we're in this relationship, remember? But he says that this eternal wisdom is coming to save all things. And we start seeing a theme that carries throughout the whole day of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we'll come back to that. And so the first readings, they're reminding you that everything you have is given. It's not yours. We read, we read in the first chapters that when he created the heavens, the earth, the sea, the skies, the star, the moon, the earth, the creeping things, the fowls, the, the, the reptiles, everything. And it says, then he took all of those and he gave it to man. He gave us the earth. He gave us the animals. He gave us all of these things. So anything that you have is a given. It's given to you. It's a gift. And St. Shinuti comes in and asks you to self-reflect. And ask yourself whether or not you're in reconciliation with him or not. Where at the end of the day, whether you sit down, your guardian angel next to you, and whether or not you're thinking about anything about your conduct at all in your relationship. And that's why Christ curses the fig tree, right? In the first hour. And it says in all the reading of the fig tree, it makes an emphatic point that it is not its season. Which makes many people say, wow, isn't God mean? Why does he want there to be fruit out of season? Well, two things, as we see the day of the Lord is a theme throughout the whole week. Is that God is coming and saying, you don't get to plan for the day of the Lord. You don't know when you're going to die. And so just like it wasn't the season, it wasn't the planned season, you can't plan the season of your death. You simply have to be ready. You're either ready or you're not. He's also cursing the tree for another reason, because it was lying. The tree was lying. The tree was showing off its fruits as though it was fruitful. It had its leaves out, its plumes out, giving the decoration as though it was the season. And it wasn't. It was lying. There was not a fruit to be found on that tree. It wasn't because God is just angry because he was hungry and couldn't find food. We're not entitled. We're not entitled. In the third hour, he starts off with a harsh rebuke that I think our generation is maybe more guilty of than any other generation in history, in my opinion. Woe to you who call good evil and evil good. Woe to those who think they're wise. Woe to you, if you think you have the standard and you just say, hey, that's your truth, it's my truth, and you become the standard of truth and you become wise in your own eyes, that's the beginning of your mighty fall that you may never actually rise from. Not many people rise from that specific type of arrogance. Because the day of the Lord, it continues the prophecies, is coming. And there's an emphasis here. The reason why in in the prophecies of of that hour, I won't go into all of them, is that they go in and say, look at what the Lord has done, this food, this drink, this raiment, all these things. He's saying the only reason that things were good for you is because God was actively giving it. He gave you clouds to cover you. He gave you safety. He gave you fruits. He gave you vineyards. He gave you ways. He fought your wars. And so he's saying, the prophet is saying, you're not entitled to this. You don't understand. These were gifts to you. You weren't doing this. You weren't causing your security. You weren't causing your safety. It was a gift from your spouse. And so the prophets are demanding of the people. God is speaking to the prophets saying, do you honestly think that without keeping the covenant, that God owes you something? Why are you so entitled to this? Why do you think that you can break all of your marriage vows and somehow The other spouse is supposed to remain faithful. Why do you think that's owed to you, is what they're asking you. And so we see again, the Lord goes into the temple and it's the day of the Lord there and he casts everything out, the people who are um, abusing it. And he curses the fig tree, we read that again. So you can see that in spite of this, God is the one doing the cleaning. We move on to the sixth hour and we read about the giving of the law. And this is the prophets. The reason if you zoom out, right, is that now God's saying, okay, you don't know. You don't understand. Okay. I'll explain it to you. Okay. You don't know what health is. I'll give you like a health manual. Okay. You don't know how to, you don't know how to drive. I'll give you a little book that you can study from and here's how to drive. So that nobody could say they didn't know. Nobody can say, why is he so upset? It's not like I knew, but you knew. And in fact, Moses uses God's own goodness against God. He says, he asked God, he's very daring. He asked God, will you let the Egyptians laugh at us? Right? Are you going to leave us to this? When God could have been like, actually, the fact that I delivered you from the Egyptians and you still are making idols is all the more reason actually for me to say, no, I'm not going to help you. But he doesn't say that. He has the right to say that, but he doesn't. And so we see again what wisdom is. Wisdom loves righteousness. Righteousness coming from the word right. It's about being right. It's about doing the right thing. That's what we're supposed to be about Wisdom is loving, it says in the prophecy of the third hour. It is loving, but won't acquit a blasphemer. We have that attitude. The calling evil good is is, is seen in that saying, right, of it's okay. We're very quick to say that everything is okay. Okay. But it also says that God witnesses the heart and should be the overseer of it. He should be the bishop of your heart. If you are faithful to your spouse, if this is your spouse that you're talking about. Then in the ninth hour, we see how it went wrong. We read about the fall. So if we zoom out big picture, there's an explanation of what went wrong in history. Why there is a need for fixing is because it broke. So the fall is about how did it break? Why did we even need a savior? Why was there ever a problem? That's the fall. That's why we're reading it. And we saw that everything was a given once again. Not just just the plants, the fruits, the animals, etc. Even sexuality. Even that was a gift that God gave. We didn't invite and invent it. And yet we feel entitled to use even that in whatever way we like. Man felt entitled. Man wanted a different kind of vision, one in which he is superior. Man wanted to be superior. This is what the devil sold to even Adam. Right of is it really the case that if you eat this, you're going to die? Or is it that God doesn't want you to see? God doesn't want you to know. But if you have this, you'll know. You'll have that special kind of vision. They felt entitled to that vision. Even though even the tree had been a gift to them. In the greater narrative... How on earth were we entitled to that? And instead of communion with their lover, that day they communed with evil. That day Adam and Eve's meal together was a meal of evil. And they were humiliated. And you would think, again, as God asks over and over, and everyone gets angry when God sounds upset as though he's not allowed to be upset. But when God is upset, over and over people are upset. Here's the response. Here's the prophecy of that hour. Comfort my people. Speak comfort to my people, Jerusalem, says her God, that her trial is over, that he has redeemed her. Is that the expected response of any one of us towards an entitled spouse. And once again, we're told wisdom is the fear of God. We'll come back to what that means. And he says, accept instruction. That's the plea of all the wisdom readings that we read today. And then in the gospel, we see a whole other level of entitlement. We see the priests, the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jews, the religious folk, challenge God. They challenge God as though they are entitled to challenge God. By what authority do you do these things? Who do you think you are? And God tolerated it. Because God could have answered and said, I'm actually the guy that you claim to serve. This house that you're living in, it's mine. These books you're reading about, it's about me. Your existence, it's from me. And yet you feel entitled that you can just tell me off like it's nothing. Then in the 11th hour, we see our Lord's frustration come out and he says, okay, tell me, tell me, what is going to be the bill of divorce for, for this wife? Okay, tell me on what ground, what ground should I choose for this divorce? Because he asks, am I not entitled to divorce you? Shouldn't I divorce you? You're sleeping around with everybody. Shouldn't I divorce you? But he doesn't. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we see again. Making peace and well-being for healing is what wisdom says, is that in spite of this, God is still trying to work for our peace and healing. The fear of God will drive away sin, it says. And the wisdom of Sarak gives us some more advice. We're going to put this all together. But his advice to fix this is to say, you know, unjust anger cannot be justified. How is that advice? You need to know what's right or wrong. Or you'll get mad at the wrong thing. If you think you're entitled to something, you'll be angry when you don't get it. But are you wrong about your entitlement? They said, "Be patient. Learn self-restraint. If you learn self-restraint, you will you will be less feeling entitled." He says, "Don't come to him, Book of Wisdom, with a double heart. Don't go to your spouse, pretending that you care, when you're actually really just trying to manipulate your spouse to give you something." Don't do lip service while in the meantime you're agreeing with your friend and being like, yeah, my wife sucks, but whatever. When I go home, I can't say that to her because she won't like it. He's saying bring your attention back to your spouse. Don't be a hypocrite when I gave us a sermon this morning on the hypocrisy, what it is. Watch what you say. Don't exalt yourself. These are the forms. These are the ways where we start to feel entitled. Then St. Shinuda, the Archimandrite gives a really harsh homily that I know many people don't like. And I can't help but think that some people feel this is the kind of sermon that shouldn't be put out. Where St. Shinuda says, you know, sometimes we think we're doing something really good and it's evil. Like for example, and this is the example he gives. When we tolerate evil in the church, Are we not blaspheming God in so doing? Because he challenges you and says, can you tell me? Tell me about any secular place where this would be allowed, what we're doing in church. Tell me a place where that would be allowed. Tell me whether or not you could bring a convict from prison and bring him into the, the, um, the Senate to debate a bill. Tell me where somebody breaking the law becomes part of the discussion about setting the law. Tell me about where you can find someone so irreverent to a place and bring them in like it's nothing and yet we have no problem doing it in the church. And we do this. We call evil good and good evil. Malish, leave him alone, he'll get, he'll get better. Is there no duty ever, Saint Shenouda is asking, is there never a duty to say, this is wrong? Is that never a duty? All of us think that we're being nice. We think we're being good by pretending that everything is okay. We call evil good and good evil all the time. And so he gives advice. He says, you know, we sin. We sin, but we don't condemn ourselves. Right? He didn't deny that we're human. He's not saying no one's going to not sin and that because you sin, you're all pathetic. He's not saying that. He's saying, but instead of calling the evil good, why aren't we condemning ourselves and saying, I behaved wrongly? This was not behavior befitting of the spouse of God. This is not behavior befitting the child of God who is created. We need to understand that his house is a gift We're not entitled to it. Perhaps this is something we can learn in this season where we're locked out of the churches. We're not entitled to the house. It's not our right. It was a gift, and we have to keep it clean. So then we move on to the evening. In the first hour, we see that our lover is begging for us to return to him. He's saying, return to me, please. Please return to me. Please don't be like those we read about this morning who turned on me. Don't listen to these people who are limited. You're listening to these false prophets. You're listening to these kings. You're listening to these leaders. They're limited. They're going to die. All of those things are going to pass away. I won't. I am the only thing that's true. And so the gospel shows the day of the Lord again in the door of the house of God being shut. It's a very scary reading where we read about people living their lives like it's nothing and then suddenly they're going to the party and the doors are closed. And why didn't you show up to the party when the doors were open? Because you felt entitled to do whatever you felt like. In spite of your marriage, well, there's a day where that gets revealed. You'll feel entitled and say, What do you mean? What do you mean we're not allowed to come into the party? We're entitled to this. And if you read that gospel, what do they say? We're entitled. Look what we did. We're so good. We did this and this and this and this and this. And they list off all the things they've done that are so amazing. And God says, I don't know you. This is a side of God that we don't like to deal with. We always want the hugging Jesus. God still hates sin. There has never been a time where he doesn't. He loves sinners. There's no disagreement whatsoever about that. And like I said, this is a week to focus on this part of it. I'm not trying to paint a gloomy picture where, well, it's all miserable and hell. And no, there's no point anyway because God doesn't like us. That's not the message here. But it's to say that, get real. Don't live like you're entitled and then take refuge in those nice words. That's the calling evil good and good evil of coming back and saying, but it's okay because Jesus loves me. It's okay that I'm cheating on him. It's okay that I don't live with him. It's okay that I couldn't care less about him. It's okay that even though I don't care about him, I demand from him everything in existence. And when anything goes bad, I scream and yell at him. That's all okay, apparently, because I'm owed that. This is what we're being called to repent from. The third hour, Malachi says to us, God pleads with his love. I have loved you. And it's heartbreaking to read what he says in Malachi. It's heartbreaking. He says, I have loved you. I have loved you. And then you ask me, you have the audacity to ask me, but I'll answer you. You ask me, how did I love you? And, and, and I will tell you, I chose you. I chose you, Israel. I didn't choose Esau. I chose Jacob. I chose you. I fought your wars. I gave you wealth, I gave you prosperity. I gave you everything you added, everything you wanted and more than you could have known that you wanted or needed. I gave you all of that and you don't. And then it says, okay, you know what? Okay, forget that, pretend I didn't do any of that. Okay, am I, if I'm not your lover, okay? Don't call me a lover, no problem. Some of you might be thinking, well, he's not my spouse. No problem, he's not your spouse. He's okay, am I your father? If I'm your father, treat me like a kid should treat a father. And then he takes it where some of us would be shy to say out loud and might say in our heads only. He says, okay, I'm not a father. I'm a tyrant. I'm a horrible master. Could you pretend for a moment that you fear me? Because you don't even give me the honor that you should give a tyrant. It's heartbreaking. This is... The spouse breaking down in front of his lover and saying, am I so bad? Am I that ugly? What have I done that you can't stand me? And then the Lord formulates a strong accusation against his people that makes me tremble. First, he says what we just talked about a son honors his father and his servant his master, etc. But then here's the here's the accusation. You I have told you, you priests, you priests, you leaders of the people, and please remember: you are all priests. This is at you. Anyone baptized is a priest, a prophet, and a king. You priests are the ones who despise my name, and you ask. How have we despised your name? And he answers, By bringing defiled bread to my altar. But you say, How have we defiled it? And the Lord answers, In that you say, The table of the Lord is contemptible, and the food set on it is contemptible. For if you bring something blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your ruler and see if he'll receive it, if he'll accept your person, says the Lord Almighty. Says, so let's see that gift that you take. You want to buy me flowers? You buy me dead flowers. You buy me wilted flowers. You didn't even buy them. You picked them off off the street after you walked all over and you brought them to me and said, here's my gift. And God is saying, go try that with any of, your, or any of you. Any, go to any of your leaders and give them a gift of wilted flowers. Ask them what they think of you. Ask yourself what that means about you. That's what you're doing to me. Because everything that you have is from me. Your body is from me. I made you. Literally, I made you. We read about it this morning. I made you. You don't care. Because you feel entitled to do whatever you want. And then we see some irony in the gospel of the third hour of the evening. Where the humans try and warn God of the day of the Lord. Herod's going to kill you they tell the Lord Jesus replies well you know honestly let's be real you guys kill anyone who tells you what's wrong you guys kill the prophets but then what's God's response to our entitlement we're mad at him for being frustrated but what's his actual response not just what he said but what his response is even though you kill the prophets oh Jerusalem How often do I desire to gather your children as a hen gathers her brood and you don't want it? You think, oh, how much I want to fix this and you refuse. And when you refuse, I can't do it. I want you, you don't want me. And now you're experiencing what it's like not to have me. You have your occupied country, you have your miseries you have all these, these these negatives. Do you want to reject me, he asks, and, and still feel entitled to the relationship? How does that work? How is it that you want to be in a relationship and reject me at the same time? I don't, I don't get it. We move to the sixth hour. Hosea laments that the people of God have gone after prostitutes. The pride of Israel will be exposed by weakness. She's not entitled to God's protection is what's being said. You're not entitled to God's protection. And so, see what happens when you go your own way. And it's not a punishment. It's not a punishment. It's that you are prosperous because of God. So when you leave him, you have said, I don't want protection. I don't want refuge. I don't want grace. He didn't say, I'm not giving grace. You said, I hate your grace. I don't want it. I don't choose it. That's what hating is. Hating is to not choose you're saying i don't choose grace i hate it and he's saying okay then you live graceless that's not me i'm not saying it to you you're doing it to you they will demand the lord god says hosea but they will not find him because they are not entitled to him god is not supposed to come to you on demand that message anytime i'm saying you is to me not just to to you is to me how often do we think we're praying by standing in our prayer corners and snapping our fingers uh, doing the sign of the cross and summoning the lord god into our presence for the four minutes that we're going to give him while we think about our grocery list And, and and treat it like he owes me these four minutes and then i dismiss him with my final amen you may go now lord I'm done telling you what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with me, what's wrong with my family, what's wrong with my friends, my list of things that you're supposed to fix because we're entitled to your fixing. And now you may go, thank you for your time, if we remember to say thank you. I'm sorry, I'm not, not trying to be negative, but this is the heating that we're being called to take heed of, to watch, be on guard. So the gospel gives you advice. Don't be weighed down with entertaining distractions, overdrinking, drinking, and the worries of this life because the day of the Lord will come to you. What are you obsessed with? Ask yourself, what are your main concerns throughout the day and why? What are your concerns when you know the right thing and you don't do it? What, when you didn't do the right thing, what it, what was it, what was it? What was it that you were concerned about? And then ask yourself, what do you have? That isn't a gift. And if it's a gift, by definition, you didn't earn it. It was a gift. And so if you've received a whole bunch of gifts that you didn't earn, why are you worried about not receiving gifts? He was already giving them to you without you earning them. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Gather in the fruit of life. Light for yourselves, the light of knowledge. Seek the Lord until the fruit of righteousness comes upon you. This is the advice of Hosea in the ninth hour. Why have you passed over ungodliness in silence? Why are you calling evil good and good evil and reaped its sin and eaten of false fruit? Be righteous. Eat the things that bring life, not the junk that kills you. Saying know things, come to know them. It's very good advice. He's saying you're acting, you're acting in ignorance. So acquire knowledge. Seek the Lord. Don't call ungodliness good. And don't just ignore it. Because you have trusted in your chariots, in the abundance of your power. Therefore, destruction will rise up among your people and all your fortified places will be gone. Don't live like you're all that and a bag of chips. Don't live like you're invincible. You've heard all the cautionary tales. We all witnessed the fall of Blackberry. Everyone predicts Apple's eventual doom. The inevitable inevitable financial booms and now COVID-19 and the buzz line and it's almost become cliche is, you just wouldn't see it coming, huh? Just never could plan for that, huh? We say it, but we don't live like that. We don't live like it can come down in a moment, like the day of the Lord is at hand. A person who lives like that is arrogant. Know that what you have is a blessing. If you don't know yourself, you'll struggle with this. If you know yourself, you will not struggle with this. And let's take a look again at God's response. For Israel is a child, and I loved him, and I have called his children out of Egypt, as I called them, so they departed from my presence. They sacrificed to Balaam and burned incense to carve images. God saying, Israel is just a kid, and I love him. I helped him. I did this for him, but but he rejected me. He's not yelling. And then the gospel is where he tears apart the pinnacle of hypocrisy and entitlement. Because people walk around feeling entitled to authority, telling people what to do, asserting the law as if it was their own, holding people to standards that they themselves don't live up to. And a lot of us read that passage and we look at our priests and our bishops and our servants and be like, aha, they're just like the Pharisees. I think we should all turn the finger at ourselves and say, aha, we're Pharisees. We all proclaim standards that we don't live up to. And even worse, we often do it in the name of God. And the Lord said, these are the people who build the tombs of the prophets. These are the people who abuse justice, God says. Why? Because they believe that they can. They think they are entitled on some level of logic to do the things that they do. These people who are giving a bunch of rules, calling people out, saying all these things, are they not saying it because they think they can? They're saying it because on some level they feel entitled to make those proclamations, as do you, as do I. It's supposed to be like this. Why is it supposed to be like this? Do you know why it's supposed to be like this? Who made it up? Did it come down from heaven like this? If you speak it like it's a law, then you see yourself as entitled to speak on the name of God. You believe that you are entitled to the gift of prophecy and then have stolen it as your own. We must be careful. Isn't that you? Isn't that me? Don't we walk around saying how church should have dealt with this, that, or the other thing. Don't we point the finger at how someone was dealt with and saying they shouldn't have done this thing or that thing. Don't we say that priest or servant or bishop or human being is not good because he or she did it this way. But if he had only done it this way, it would have been right. And he wouldn't have, and then insert certain egregious act. Don't we assert our opinions of rites, rituals, rubrics, that's clearly the inferior rubric because it doesn't adhere to X, Y, and Z. I'm not, as, as the Lord isn't, saying death to ritual. God says the opposite. He says, no, these things you ought to have done. I'm not disputing that. These things you ought to have done. You forgot the point of them. But when something that is not itself life-giving becomes the source of your authority and entitlement, something has gone seriously wrong. The law is not life-giving, says St. Paul. The law, in other words, is not the relationship. The relationship is the relationship. God says the day of the Lord is coming. Yes, I tell you that this generation will be charged with this blood don't think that I'm okay with it because I'm not going to call evil good. The killing of the prophets was not okay. Woe to you, experts of the law. You have taken away the key to knowledge. And then he says something, you yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. That's petrifying. And finally, we come to the 11th hour where we're pleaded with, we're pleaded with, Seek the Lord and live. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What is fear? Fear means reverence. It means awe. And to fear the Lord is not a demand of God saying, cower and tremble in front of me because he didn't deal like that. In fact, he's saying, you don't do that. (laughs) None of you are even doing that. It's saying, recognize who I am. I made you. You're designed. And it was all meant for love. You're designed in relationship. And if I recognize who God is and the things that he made and how he did it, I will change. That's why it's the beginning of wisdom, because things return to their order. Things return to how they were meant to be. In big words, they return to their proper ontology to steal from Abunah Joseph in the morning. They become what they were meant to be because you recognize what the thing is. And so we're begged. Seek the Lord and live because it says in the prophecy, God can transform anything. God can turn darkness into the morning. God can change material from one material to another. God can do that. That's our god who can do that. So go to him. Return to your lover. Cast away your sense of entitlement, your ownership, your savagery. Or be warned, says the gospel. Be warned. Have you thought about your day of the Lord? Because humans took it even further in the last gospel that we read. Now they were not just warning him that he might die. They started trying to plan his death. They felt so entitled to their views to such a degree, so entitled to their political motivations to such a degree, entitled to their dignity and honor and reputation to such a degree that they were willing to literally kill a man. Let's pretend he's not God for a second. They're ready to kill an innocent man for the sake of those things. How is that for entitlement? but don't we do that? Are you one of those of whom Amos said they have hated him that reproved in the gates and have despised holy speech? Do you hate? Do you get upset? Do you get bothered? Do you get frustrated? Do you get defensive when someone dares to disagree with you? When someone dares to tell you that you might be mistaken. If your reaction to correction is anything but gratitude and joy, my friend, you are somebody who feels entitled. I am one of them. Have you ever said I'm not going to talk to that person because he's just gonna tell me I'm wrong? We're a generation that does not like reproof. We hate it. We want a cookie for everything we do right. You're not allowed, apparently, to fail a grade in high school anymore. Apparently it's it's, it's not allowed. You have to only do positive reinforcement. I'm not trying to tell people how to raise or not raise their kids. I'm I'm not saying that. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying that we've encountered, we've encultured the attitude of, you're right, we agree, we're saying the same thing. Or, to really bring it home, Everyone's entitled to his own opinion. No. You are not entitled to your own opinion if and when objective truth exists. You are able to have an opinion. You're just not entitled to it. So finally, sorry for taking so long, let's return to Amos, his corrective, where he says... Guys, so simply, it's God who makes all things. The only one, in modern language, the only one who gets to say what something is supposed to be, the only one who can be entitled, is the one who makes it. And that's God you don't determine that grapes can be made for wine you just discovered that you didn't invent electricity you discovered things that helped you discover the possibility of electricity you didn't invent truth you didn't invent righteousness you didn't invent relationships you didn't do any of those as the non-maker you are not entitled to anything nobody owes you anything nobody owes you dignity Nobody owes you honor. Nobody even owes you an explanation. So does the system come undone? No. The key is relationship. Where do expectations form from? Relationship. So let's summarize it and end. So in all these readings, we see something. We're the entitled spouse. We're unfaithful, we're selfish. God is saying, I am so upset about this. But I want you so badly. You're abusing my gifts to you and acting like they're not gifts. You're trampling on my love. You're demanding gifts from me. And to be honest with you, that makes it not a gift. What kind of relationship is it when a husband feels that he has to buy gifts for his spouse because she's demanding them? Is it still a gift? Entitlement is killing our relationship. And the Lord is saying, I have the right to a divorce, but I don't want a divorce. I want to be married to you. I love you, I will remain married to you, but just because I plan to rescue you, that doesn't entitle you to treat me like garbage, you forgot who I am. And that's what he answered in one of the gospels this evening, and said, I'll tell you who I am, I am the I am. And I'm before Abraham. I'm before all this. I gave meaning to Abraham, your father. I am that person. I am that God. So what is your response? Will you take the advice of all of the readings? Will you hate holy speech and hate reproof? That's up to you. It is each of us that will give an answer for what we did on our personal day of the Lord. I pray it not be a fearful one you need to know that your entitlement ruins relationship. If I may, become poor in spirit and you'll be saved. You'll inherit the kingdom, as he said. Put yourself in the state of poverty, the complete antithesis to entitlement. Put yourself as the one who asks, not the one who demands. Do this, And the Lord of glory promises that he will give you the kingdom. To him be glory, majesty, fear, and reverence, now and always in the age of ages. Amen.